0: newton media group a family of creative services presents the voice Work podcast today is thursday september 30th 2021 on the podcast today we'll take a little deeper look into a book introduced in a previous podcast with a chapter by chapter look at how to be hilarious and quick-witted In Everyday Conversation, written by Patrick King, narrated by Russell Newton. Chapter 1. Breaking It Down, The Anatomy of Humor The Three Humor Theories What makes things funny? Funny is a bit like sexy or cool. It's pretty hard to nail down a concise definition. But you absolutely know it when you see it. And You know when it's not there. That said, humor is predictable enough for us to notice a few recurring themes. Think about it right now. What was the last thing that made you literally laugh out loud? If you think back, you can probably also imagine a time when you nearly fell over laughing at something that somebody else merely rolled their eyes at. Maybe you love watching those ultra-mean insult comics or celebrity roasts, but can't understand why anybody would laugh at someone slipping on ice. There's certainly a trend for which comedy videos go viral. This means there are just certain patterns that tickle our funny bones. It goes without saying, there are different ways to be funny. Now, this isn't set in stone, but there are broadly three different theories that explain why something is funny. Theory 1. Humor relieves psychological tension. You know how people say tragedy and comedy sit really close to one another? So much humor rests on the release and relief of things in life we ordinarily think of as scary, unpleasant, or stressful. To laugh out loud is to let go of some of the pent-up psychological and nervous energy, or so the theory goes. Let's say you turn up in the office one morning after a car accident, and a colleague sees you and exclaims in surprise, Oh no! No! And you've even got a black eye. You could reply in a deadpan voice, Shh, not so loud, or everyone will want one. It's funny because it releases... Chapter 2, The Basics Puns and Dad Jokes There's no joke that's universally funny, right? Eh, Wrong. There is. And this is it. Two hunters are in the forest when one of them stops breathing and passes out. The other hunter gets his phone and calls 911. Help, my friend is dead. What should I do? The operator tells him, Okay, calm down. I'm here to help. First, let's make sure he's dead. There's a brief silence, and the operator hears a loud shot ringing out. The hunter comes back on the phone and says, Okay, now what? Okay, okay, save your rotten tomatoes. Richard Wiseman, not wise guy, is a humor researcher And has been interested in the ways that sex, age, nationality, and culture affect what we find funny. In his extensive humor research trying to understand the funniest jokes in the world, Wiseman found that shorter was better and that jokes like the above scored highly. Whether you like the joke or not, you probably see that funniness is complex. It's not about the material, But the way the listeners attitudes and perspectives make them see that material let's take a look at that classic and ancient art form the noble dad joke don't know what a dad joke is here you go what's brown and sticky a stick if you made an audible groan when reading that one congratulations you now understand what a dad joke is Laughing out loud and cringing in embarrassment—it turns out are close cousins, loved and maligned in equal measure. Dad jokes are usually based on cheesy puns and things that five-year-olds might find funny. Yet, despite how corny they may be, there's something in deeper. Chapter three, humor—it's a game, raising arousal. Let's dig a little deeper. And look at some other common humor techniques that you might like to try once you've gotten a handle on the basics. Get your mind out of the gutter. This chapter is about psychological arousal and how to use it to make other people think you're the funniest thing since sliced bread. A particularly goofy-sounding study published in 1968 in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology showed some evidence for one of the theories we discussed earlier, namely the relief theory of humor. This research showed that increasing psychological arousal makes people think things are much funnier. Participants nervously agreed to take a needle and extract blood from a large rat on the order of the scientists in the study, only to discover that the rat was a plastic toy. Are you getting dead joke vibes from this setup? I am. The results showed that those who were most anxious about injecting the rat were also the most amused by the discovery. From this, the researchers concluded that humor relied on raising and releasing arousal, what we called tension earlier. Again, the joke seems to lie in violating expectations or norms, or else pairing up something quite grim with something patently absurd for comedic effect. The scientists called this sudden release from strong affect. It's as though anxiety and surprise are converted into humor, the more anxiety the bigger the surprise and the greater the feeling of humor after that anxiety is released in a nutshell the scientists discovered the premise of literally every canned camera show ever so what does this mean for you and your quest to become a more entertaining person for fun and profit it means chapter 4 walking the tightrope teasing how to do it and how not to do it And now we arrive at the idea that's probably been floating in the back of your mind for a while. Just how nasty and unkind can a joke be before it's not funny? Where do you draw the line? Teasing yourself with self-deprecating humor is one thing, but teasing someone else is quite another. So much of what we find funny in life comes down to norm violations or the disruption of expectations around polite behavior you could easily tip over and find yourself simply being a jerk. It probably goes without saying that insults, dark humor, and sarcasm take a little more practice and mastery than something like the dad joke. Don't try this kind of thing unless you're feeling confident in your approach. You know the people you're teasing well, and you understand the context properly. Professional comedians know that the joke is in the reception. If your audience is feeling insulted, then it's not that they've failed to get the joke, but rather you've failed to deliver it properly. Good teasing makes the other person laugh and comes from a place of playfulness and friendliness. Bad teasing is not received as teasing, but as an attack. How do you tease someone without being hurtful? Method 1. Use irony Here's the official definition from dictionary.com just because it's something that people can struggle with nailing down. The expression of one's meaning by using language that normally signifies the opposite, typically for humorous or emphatic effect. Ironic humor is when something that is the exact opposite of what you might expect occurs, or when you say something but mean the exact opposite. Example 5. Funny equals sexy. I wouldn't be the first to say that trying to make other people laugh is not all that different from flirting with them. Chemistry has a lot in common with that buzzy feeling in social situations where people are laughing and having a good time. Being funny and being flirty and sexy have one thing in common. They're about amusing rather than conversing. When you flirt or tell jokes, your goal is not to impart factually correct information. You're not trying to be right. In that sense, the context of what you're saying doesn't matter. It comes down to how you're saying it and how that makes other people feel. The default conversation approach most people use is, of course, to discuss and converse. There's nothing wrong with that, and it can certainly lead to interesting revelations. The problem is that it gets old quickly and makes things serious and dull. It's not the ideal way to build rapport since it can be a dry discussion of facts and news, which doesn't tell you anything about a person's personality, nor does it allow you to show your own off. It makes it hard to have those sparkling moments of connection and recognition. People discuss current events with colleagues, but people amuse friends with personal stories. See the difference? The difference in mindset should be to focus on being more playful not taking people at face value, and not worrying about answering questions literally. Just because they asked about the weather doesn't mean that you're only allowed to talk about the weather. How can you do this? Imagine how you would react if you were five years old. That is the perfect start for playful conversation that can build rapport. If someone asks you about the weather, what are the different ways you can reply? Bonus Chapter Chapter 1 from Improve Your Conversations. Think on your feet, witty banter, and always know what to say with improv comedy techniques. Improvisation Implementation Great conversations don't simply appear spontaneously out of thin air. We might get lucky occasionally when we find people that happen to be on the same wavelength as us or share an obscure set of similarities, but that's not something you can depend on to carry you through life. That's like trying to predict when and where lightning will strike, which isn't exactly known to be possible. People who can create flowing conversations with just about everyone they meet are definitely achieving something different and special. What do people who can make something out of nothing have in common? It doesn't happen consistently without planning and preparation. This isn't planning and preparation in the conventional sense— where you might jot down ideas of topics to bring up or dig through the news for the current events of the day. Those are important to some degree, but they can be equally as detrimental. If you have a flowchart for conversations, any slight deviation can spell your doom. The type of preparation you'd need is to understand the basic anatomy of great conversations. That's going to be the focus of this first chapter of Improve Your Conversations. What are the elements you should focus on and seek out in your conversations, and what should you try to avoid? Moreover, which of the bad habits are you guilty of, and are you compelling others to want to converse with you, or are you actually repelling them? A great conversation greatly resembles an improv comedy performance, and ideally should involve all the rules that I'm going to cover in this book. Conversation equals improv. Let's spell out the similarity. This has been How to Be Hilarious and Quick Witted in Everyday Conversation. Written by Patrick King. Narrated by Russell Newton. Copyright 2021 by Patrick King. Production copyright by Patrick King. Introduction One of my favorite pastimes has always been watching stand up comedy. Originally, it wasn't even for the laughs. I was interested because I'd been trying to improve my own public speaking skills, and I wanted to study the presentation of the comedians. They were able to captivate audiences, charm them, and make them laugh. They were certainly doing something that ordinary business presenters and professors weren't, so I wanted to learn their ways. I started by studying their posture, body language, gestures, and manner of pacing, I only lasted about five minutes before I was completely distracted and engrossed by what was happening on stage, and that's when it struck me. Being funny on command and making people laugh for an hour straight is one of the most difficult tasks in the world. What you're really doing is evoking an emotion whenever you want, at will. In that way, it's a little like casting a spell. Movies and television shows spend millions trying to do that and even the best of them don't get it right a lot of the time. People cry at movies sometimes, but it's a thin line to cross over into being cheesy and lame. Jokes in movies often fall flat or get repetitive, and even horror movies need to work hard to eke out a genuine moment of terror from an audience that's seen it all before. What I'm saying is that conjuring emotions in people is not easy, and yet I was watching my stand-up idols do just that, and to crowds of hundreds or even thousands of people. Impressive, right? At first, I thought it was purely talent-based. I believed that some people were just funnier than others. If there's a bell curve, there are obviously outliers. Some of us can run a mile in under seven minutes with no sweat, and others need an inhaler. Please be sure to visit Amazon.com or Audible.com for more information on this book and the author. Show notes and further information can be found at RussellEricNewton.com. With a collection of trivia, research, news stories, and knowledge from some of the newest audiobooks on the market, this has been The Voice Over Work Podcast, brought to you by Newton Media Group, a family of creative services.